Oh, that was short. I was expecting a whole song. I was going to do all this. Hi, Steve Postel. Thank you for doing this. Uh, this is Game Changers with me, Vicki Abelson, and my guest today is my old friend, Steve Postel. And we have known each other too many years to count at this point, I think. A lot of years. A lot of years. Do you want to tell the story how we met? Well, we probably have different versions. I just remember- <laughs> We uh, probably do. I was playing a gig at, I think, the Red Lion. Yeah. Or the Back Fence was one of those two. Oh, yeah. And I was just walking. It was either after it or before it or in a break. And I was walking on Bleecker Street. And I saw this other club. It was the Rock and Roll Cafe, right? It sure was. And uh, you kind of grabbed me and said, you look like a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Did I really? Something like that. Oh my God, is that, see my version is that you walk down the stairs and you, I thought you said to me, you guys have live music and you know, I'm a musician. Yeah, no, and I then you, you mentioned uh, Pure Prairie League and it was all over. I was like, I, I took out the book, I booked you on the spot, I was yeah. get out of here. So I know that wasn't a long gig for you, but, but it was a gig and you play, you sang lead. How did, how did the Pure Prairie League thing happen? Uh, my lawyer at the time, they, they had, uh, I think, let's see, Vince Gill had left and Craig Fuller, I forget who was first, because Craig Fuller and Vince Gill were the two lead singers. I think Vince Gill might have been, might, I don't know, I could be wrong. Well, which one of them left and that was the second of them. I think, it, I don't remember, but yeah, so they were looking for a guy for that slot. They had a slot for a sort of uh, guitar playing, singer guy. And uh, so I went down there and, um, you know, because they had the song. Oh God, yeah. Amy. And, uh, and I went down and it was a weird time because they had lost their record deal. They, they it was a, it was disco. Is that so? And nobody was nobody cared about wow. that kind of music. So they they for a little while. So they had no record deal, and I went down, and they were great. I mean, it was amazing. It was a well, short... what year was that, Steve? Because I can't believe they didn't have a record deal. They were huge. Uh, early eighties. Yeah, it was when disco wow. and and the music changed so much, and mm -hmm. uh, and right when I was down there, I played a couple gigs. Mm -hmm. One of them opening for. It's interesting because I just played a gig with Albert Lee. Wow. One of the gigs we played with Pure Prairie League was opening for Emmy Lou Harris, and Albert was the guitar player in that band. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, while I was down there, my lawyer got me an offer from a label. So I, it was, I just, you know, I flew, went back to New York and, and did that thing uh, for my own music. And uh, so that's, so it was short lived, but they were great guys and I've stayed in touch with them with, well, so, there's only, there's only one left, but. So Steve, when you're doing iconic, because that song, Amy was an iconic hit, I'm sure, I, I'm guessing it was a number one. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, when you're doing an iconic song like that, are you mimicking the sound? Or are you doing it your own? Ver what are you doing? I can see why you think you belong to me. Never try to let you think, let you 
See one thing for yourself. No, I've I've never uh, mimicked. I mean, you know, I learned from people and sang right. along with people. To that's how I learned to sing. But it's never occurred to me to try to sing like someone else. I had an interesting uh, experience recently with that. I I was um, at a went went camping with some guys and and one of them was Kenny Loggins and and of course just went we, camping with some guys and well, one of yeah, them was but, Kenny and then Loggins. Of course at the, we're sitting around the campfire and of course everyone says you guys have to play you know so uh, so I remembered that I had in my iPad is are hundreds of songs and that I played over the years many of mine hundreds and hundreds of songs uh-huh. and and I've uh, photocopied or scanned like my old, old sheets from when I first started playing. So I had handwritten uh, the song, A Love Song, which was Kenny's song, which was, which I, so, so I started to remember this song. Summer thunder and moon bright days, northern lights and skies ablaze, I'll fly for you. And, uh, so I said, look, this is my handwriting when I was like 17. And this is Oh, your... my God. So we have you, have you, you've played with Kenny. Yeah, a little bit. So, recently, just recently, actually. Yeah. yeah, you could do that Loggins and Messina thing with him, kind of doing the Postel and Loggins well, thing. Well, we just, we just did a benefit and we did sing. He sang Danny's song and I sang the harmony. And yeah, it's uh, so... So yeah, but so for example, so I learned, so I sang along with Kenny. I, t- I told him, you know, I, your voice and mine and the similar range. And but when it, but when I sing a song, it's got to be how I sing it. There's, I don't have another, I don't really have a choice. And you don't have to. It's interesting because your voice, your voice is totally recognizable to me, and yet you can sing. Korchmar songs that Jackson Brown sang and stuff, and they sound completely right. They don't sound di- it's they don't sound like um, copies, but it sounds right. Whoever you're singing, it sounds right. Well, that's just because well, you have a great voice. You know, somebody. Well, but you know, it's about being authentic. That's it. Mm. You know, and if you, uh, and I, and that's it. I just sing as authentically as I can for how I feel about a song. So, you know, Steve, all the times we've talked, I don't know if we've ever discussed this. I don't know how this started for you, the singing part. I, I, I know you got a guitar when you were a little kid. You had, and tell that story about what your guitar teacher said when you came in with your little guitar. Um, which story? Uh, well, all I know is I, I think that you came in with a cheap guitar and as soon as you took your first lesson the guitar teacher said oh yeah we went back and got another guitar yeah. you needed a better guitar because you already had we went down to manny's next that week and got me a better guitar which i still have it's in the other room i, I still have that guitar uh fortunately well i always sang i sang along with records you know and and he you know to my good fortune he was a singer my first teacher uh-huh. and, and he, um, matter of fact, the first song, Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley. <laughs> and uh, so, so we sang and played. 
the first lesson I started to learn to read, mm-hmm. learn classical, learn to sing and play. So always was integrated for me. How, how old were you when that all started? Eight, eight years old. And was it your choice or did your parents encourage no, you to no, do that? I, I'd been wanting to do it for three years, but they were told I was too little. And do you think that you were born with a gift that that came out through you? Or do you think that it's a skill that you amassed or both? I think it's probably both. I, I clearly had an affinity and a proclivity. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it came easy to me compared to mm-hmm. other people. I never had the pro, I never had a problem pushing down. It made sense to me. I'd been, I think I'd absorbed watching people play. So my brain kind of went, oh, I, I know how that, how that works. Um, you know, I think there's different levels of both. I've worked to this day really hard. But so was I a prodigy? No. But was I definitely sort of on the spectrum of being gifted? Yes. I could just play. I could sing. It, and it made sense to me. So the language sort of wasn't confusing to me. So learning to read music was not a challenge for you? Not really. And what when you were when you were little and you were getting turned on by music and wanting to do it, who were you listening to that was exciting you at that time? Well, my again, fortunately for me, for some reason, and I asked her why, she didn't really have a very good answer. My mother had a spectacular record collection that was wow. was not only a large collection, but to- had every kind of music. It had classical music, it had jazz, it had big bands, it had old blues, it had uh, jazz, show tunes. And I had a little record player in my room. Mm-hmm. And I'd go in the living room and I'd get a bunch of records and play them. Um, so, so there was music happening always and, and it was great stuff that, I, that it was everything. Uh, so I'd go from a symphony to Gene Krupa, to Josh White, to Duke Ellington, you know, it was all there. So I was just getting my little brainwaves were getting fed this, this nice food. Um, is that still true for you, Steve? Do you still listen to genres across the board i listen to genres across the board i i Mm -hmm. i have to take a break sometimes from like when i get in the car Mm -hmm. 50 percent of the time i listen to music and 50 percent of the time i just need a break from music i'll listen to sports or news or comedy or something Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i've never i like to listen to all kinds of music i always have but and and was it always guitar did you know right away okay i want to play guitar why i knew knew uh I, again, and this, why this is, we don't know, but when I was about five, we were walking in the park, my mother and I, some guy was playing guitar and singing. And I just, I, to this day, I remember, I couldn't take my eyes off. I couldn't leave. I just had to do that. You know, it just, and then they took me to, because I liked the guitar so much, they took me to a Segovia concert and, uh, and, uh, uh, and some flamenco concerts, and then the Beatles. so even as a young child, you could appreciate that kind of music. Oh yeah, I loved it. Anything with a guitar, and then the Beatles came out, and that was it. Mm-hmm. That was the end. 
that was like, oh, that's it. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. So were Not, you a John or were you a George? Well, I loved the Beatles. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think my, my, uh, I think I identified with John always mm -hmm. the most to this day. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole package yeah. was just so stunning to me. Uh, as a little guy, like I, before I heard them, before they were on the Ed Sullivan show, I was also walking in the street and there was a place, as you'll remember, I think, called Sam Goody's. Oh, sure. Which was sort of tower before tower. Right. And uh, they was, they, it was, it was on the second floor, it was a two story, was, and the second floor had these giant windows and in each window was a was a picture of one of the Beatles, and I, I just mm. said to my mother, "What, who, what is that? Who, who is <laughs> that?" And within a couple of weeks, they were on Ed Sullivan. I stayed up and watched it, and it was uh, definitely. You know, would I have been a musician if I hadn't? If there was no Beatles, I, I suppose. But that was kind of it for me. And and so, how long after? You saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Were you actually playing? I think within a year and a half. And so when you first started playing, did how long did it take you till you started playing with other people? Or did you play solo for When did you start to play in front of people? How did that happen? Well, the first time I did it, I was 13. Mm -hmm. And my teacher at school, well, she, she had been my teacher in fourth grade. She actually hired me to play a gallery opening. Wow. <laughs> That's so fabulous. I still I got 25 bucks and I sat in the corner and I thought I was a big professional musician. And and what kind of, what did you play at the gallery? Did you play classical songs and, and Beatles songs? And you know, I just sat there, no microphone, no I, there was no PA in those days. And just I think people thought it was I think people must have thought it was cute. I thought that I was like I'd arrived, you know. <laughs> Um, and so, and you got paid your first paid gig. Well, and so, okay. And after that, did you, did you start to play with other, did you play in bands when you were, or no. was it, you were a solo act? No, I was, I didn't play in bands till really much later. I was solo or with one person. My first real concert in New York was myself and a friend who played piano and cello and a woman singer who played percussion and sang. But uh, um, so it was all like singer songwriter, mm -hmm. no bands. But after I saw a, a James Taylor concert, maybe when I was sixteen or so, I really got what a band could do, particularly Leland, Danny, and Russ, mm -hmm. the way it sounded, and I started to want that. But then I went to music school, and that was and majored in in uh, composition and classical guitar. So I, I didn't do a band until actually way later than most guys went the other way. They started in bands in high school. I didn't. So when you were first doing this, what did you see? What did you project as, okay, this is what I want to do. How did you, did you see your, how did you see yourself making a living being a musician? What did you project? Well, the original idea was, you know, I'd 
be the the next guy like James or Jackson Brown or the be in a band like the Beatles, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or Dylan. And at a time when I was going through a real Dylan phase, I ended up through my mother, who was an artist, in a painting class with him. Oh, I was so hoping you were going to tell this story. Yes, and and so approximately what year was that? 73, I think. Okay, so he was God already. Oh, yeah, but he was, he'd had that motorcycle accident. He was on a hiatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my impression of him was that he was really kind of lost soul at that point. He hadn't made a record in a while, hadn't performed. I think he took at least a year off and he painted. Then he came to the studio. Was he and a talented I, painter? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think he was. Mm-hmm. And we had a great teacher named Norman Rabin. Uh, but I, you know, when you're young, you make connections. Some of them are projections. But my projection was... Well, it's okay for Bob Dylan to have a motorcycle accident and take a year off because he's Bob Dylan, but what would I do? And I decided I better go to music school and not go to regular college and make it a, uh, and learn the craft of it so that if something happened or the career or I didn't have a record deal, I could still be a musician because that was priority. So so I don't know if I would have gone if I, if I hadn't been around him and had this idea of of, well, I couldn't do what he's doing and just, you know, screw around for your painting. And I want to be a musician and get paid for that. So let me go to school and learn the craft. And uh, so originally the, that the idea was different. And it's interesting now that I know a lot of these guys like Jackson and mm-hmm. Kenny and all who, and Dick Crosby, they, that's all they ever did. And I had started on that where that was going to, I was just going to, Singer-songwriter, write songs, play. That's it. And I went this other direction, and where I did that, but also became a studio musician and a composer and an engineer and all these other things. I don't regret it, but it definitely was it. It's a it was a different path than I might have taken. But it, but that was the idea when you went to school was to be able to do all of those things. I assume. Yeah, it was to always be the singer songwriter guy but to be able to work and and then i got work right away okay uh, so tell us about how that happened i was uh i was at manis college of music and i was but I, but they didn't do the the classical music schools were very snobby back then mm-hmm. uh, juilliard wouldn't even didn't even uh accept guitar as a real instrument so there was no wow. guitar uh, and Manus didn't accept any music other than classical as real music, but I wanted to learn theory and harmony and all that. So I was, um, but I could already really play. I mean, I was playing little classical concerts and so on. So I was taking uh, not jazz lessons, but sort of contemporary guitar, sort of what Ted Green might have taught with a guy named Myron Weiss. And Myron had played on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a in a bunch of shows, I think he was in chorus line for many years, and he had he'd played wow. a man of La Mancha, and uh, but he didn't want to go on the road. He had lots of students. He liked his little place, his little deal, and you know. 
So there were no phone machines back then. So if you got a call in the middle of the lesson, he picked up the phone. So I'm waiting and he's talking and he says, and then he wasn't really paying attention. And he went, hey, hold on a second. He goes, Steve, you want to go on tour with Mano La Mancha? Wow. How, uh, how old are you at this time? In college? Yeah, 21. Mm-hmm. And I went, I guess so. So the next thing I know, I quit Manus and I was on tour making wow. a good living and, and being a professional musician. Wow. And so I believe the story is that you only had to take a job, job other than music once in your life. And it was really short lived. Is that, and why did that happen? I got, so I started playing shows that mm-hmm. again, just kind of accidentally all of a sudden I was, but a, you ended up on, you ended up on Broadway. Yeah. But, but the first, so I was playing shows, tours, right. Then off Broadway, and then I got a call to take over the chair in uh, Evita on Broadway, and so that's a union gig for the at the time. I mean, it's lots of money, and and that show was a big hit. I knew I was I had Patty a job. huge. Yeah, at least yeah. a couple of years. So I, what I did is there, there were you you had to play four guitars in in the show, an electric a nylon string, a steel string, and there was a fourth, maybe a 12, whatever the fourth, I know there were mm-hmm. four guitars. And so what, so everybody left four guitars down, they didn't schlep them back and forth, you had a lock. Right. So I went out and bought four guitars for the show and spent all my money, which I was supposed to start the next week. Mm-hmm. And then there was a change in schedule and they said, um, the guy who's leaving isn't gonna leave for two months, for eight weeks. So hang tight. So I said, okay, but I didn't have any money. (laughs) I had four nice guitars. Uh, (laughs) So I was just, again, one of my youthful ideas was, I certainly could have called my dad and said, dad, I'm broke. Can you spot me for two months? But I went, what would I do if I couldn't call my dad? And, you know, if there was no one to lend me money, what would I do? I'm not going to ask him. Wow. And I decided, well, what could I do like and make money today? That's illegal, of course. <laughs> and uh, in those days, I guess, Steve, you couldn't just go down to Bleecker Street and start picking up little gigs, or could you? Yeah, but not, I mean, I needed some money. You, you not know. to count on, you had to pay your rent. Or yeah, I yeah. paid my rent. Yeah. Yeah, I could have played, you know, got a gig in two weeks or in a month, you know, but I knew right. on in, in, in seven weeks, I was going to be working. So, right. So I just, I, re- I remembered why well, I, I uh, you know, I take these car services to the airport whenever I travel and it's a car service where people use their own cars. I wonder if I could do that. So I got in my car, which was a Volvo station wagon that I bought from my dad for a dollar. <laughs> And I drove up to 116th and Broadway. Which is where I used to live. I walk in and there's at least a hundred guys in there waiting to get called, at least. Wow. And, but they're all they're Indian, they're African, they're from all over the you know, they're from Honduras. And they and this is of course now that I think of it now, I was pretty racist thing where they see this white guy at the back of the room, and they go, hey, you, come here. 
Is that really it? Because yeah. you were white, you got the gig? I, I, I had to be. And I, and I go up there and I said, what kind of car do you have? And I said, Volvo station wagon. And they just literally go, here, go to this. Ad. I mean, I was working in it like six minutes later. I was you, don't need some... a, you didn't need a special license to do that? No. Wow. So I, so I got a little beeper and I drove, uh, I drove people around for three weeks, something like that. And, uh, and so then you ended up going on the road with Mandela Mancha, which, uh, so how long were you doing that, that road travel thing? Well, on and off the, the whole Broadway, the whole show thing was probably eight years total, seven years. That's a lot. Did, did you, did you see yourself staying there and doing no. that for the rest? Of no, no, no. Matter of fact, I, when Evita ended, when that show finally closed, I was like, that's it. You know, that, it was one of those things where there weren't that many chairs. There still aren't. And mm -hmm. once you were in and I was in, you were going to get the call for the next show or the next show. You know, you were going to work all the time. Right. They knew you could read. They knew you'd done the show. They knew that you were responsible. Um, but there was always the, the hungry guys behind you waiting to take your place. Sure. Uh and uh, so Vita ended and I looked around the pit and was like, I cannot end up one of these guys, you know, nothing against them. But for me personally, I'll never do it. You know, it's it, even though it was only eight shows a week, it took a lot of energy and time. Sure. So I, were you able to do any when you were doing that? Were you able to go play late at oh, night? Or did time, you do all, any other play? You did. All the time. Every, I mean, all day uh -huh. I was doing, I was doing jingles in the daytime and session. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. And then after the show, I'd go down to Bleecker Street and play. And some nights I'd take off if I had a big enough gig. You only had to be there five out of eight shows. Oh, wow. So I would, uh, you know, yeah, I was, playing, out. I was playing the whole time. And uh, but then I, you know, I turned down two shows and I never got another call for a show. Wow. Like, that's how much there were guys like, he's out. I'm in, I'm in you know. I got, well, I got one more call about a year and a half later or so, two, maybe even two years later, I got a call, a third call, hadn't been, hadn't had one in a while to play a Vita again. I said, I'm not playing shows anymore. And they, okay. Then I got a, they called me back. Listen, the conductor really wants you to play a Vita again. And I said, I, I just haven't played a show in two years. Then they called back and they said, look, he, how about you just play the first two weeks? So it turns out he was nervous and Evita has all these weird time signature things and he wanted someone who played the show before to to sort of feel it through you know wow. so so I just I made a, a sort of outrageous uh request financially and they called back and gave it to me so now I <laughs> an offer you couldn't refuse I had to do it um, speaking of an offer you can't refuse, we play. I, I throughout the show, I I would very much appreciate it if you'd play for us a little bit. Is there something uh, you're compelled to play? I'd love something to play new? a song. I'd love to play a song. I, this is I know this is this sucks because this is live. 
I just got to go get the lyrics. Give me go 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 get the lyrics, and then I have to go get my my power chord. That's why I'm going to have you play a song right okay, now. Okay, so we'll do that right now. We'll, we'll, take we'll do this commercial right now, so. commercial break. This is a commercial. Uh, no, I'll talk to them while you go. And this then, is an uh, Audio Technica mic commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, and I'll talk to everybody. Hello, everybody. Sit, sitting behind me, uh, this is my second to last game changers from this location very emotional for me i thought it was my last show but actually i'll be here next week with david proval from the sopranos and um but yeah after 17 years wrapping it up here and so my set is going to change i have no idea what it's going to look like in the new location but um pretty emotional i'm glad you're here and steve is an old dear friend and i'm so happy to be doing this again with him and uh, oh yeah, my I forgot to grab my power cord when I started, and so I'm seeing red up there, and I'm going, oh my god, Steve, better play so I can go I can go get my power cord. Um, so what's the oh wow, Tony? I I don't know when you said that. Um, when what the oh wow is for, but I you guys aren't. If you guys have questions for Steve, uh, feel free to put them up there. I am glancing over. And we'll ask him uh, anything you want to know. Well, not anything you want to know, but I'll ask him most of what you want to know. And uh, bitter, it is bittersweet. It's um, I've had this behind me. I've done uh, this show in a few different locations. I started out in Louise Palanker's studio in Sherman Oaks, and then I was doing it at. Uh, uh, Oh God, V, no, what was, I can't even remember the name of the station, but I was doing it on a TV station for a while. And then we ended up here in this living room. So it's been out of here for at least five years, I want to say. So it's going to be pretty wild to, um, to not be here anymore. And I don't, I was thinking that I'd put those pieces of art behind me wherever I am, but maybe I, it's time to change it up. Maybe it's time to do something new. Uh, second to last show. Yeah. Uh, you know how they say two more sleeps, two more shows. There's two more shows. And actually I only have two more sleeps here. I'm going to start staying in the new house on Friday, even though my stuff doesn't come till next week. So that's pretty crazy. Um, here's Steve. Okay. So Steve's got his lyrics now. So I'm going to put this camera on Steve and uh, we're going to hear some, you tell us what you're going to, we're going to hear Steve. So this is my newest, yeah, my newest song. I figured that'd be a fun thing to do. Uh, oh, yeah. So this is a, I think a lot of people, a lot of musicians went through uh, a most bizarre time for those of us like myself who've played every week of my life for 40 years. Having two years of not playing was... Uh, mystifying to say the least and uh so uh so a lot of music came out of a lot of people did a lot of writing and a lot of thinking during this time and this is sort of a song that came out of the <clears throat> as we were coming out of the pandemic i had a my first gig and I sat down and it just sort of came to me like I want to write a new a new song for my first gig in two years and <clears throat> and this is what came.
It's been a long, long year Been through some hard times Said goodbye to friends Had some trouble on my mind I think I saw a light A castle in the sky I think I saw my life Pass me by What can you do When you lose your way And lose your point of view What can you do When your heart is closed And your truth is no longer true You can climb up a hill You can float down a stream You can pick up your guitar And believe in your dream You can howl at the moon With the wind at your back Feel the first drops of rain When the sky turns black I put my money in the bank I built a house on the hill Got myself a wife But I don't have her still I've sailed an ocean or two I've been to Rome and Paris, France And after all I've been through I may not get a second chance What? can you do when you lose your way and lose your point of view? What can you do when your heart is closed and your truth is no longer true? You can drink a fine wine You can sing an old song You can make your mistakes Till you know right from wrong You can howl at the moon With the wind at your back And feel the first drops of rain When the sky Oh, Steve, that is so beautiful. What is that called? Sky Turns Black. 
sky turns black. And so what's okay. So now you have the immediate family, you have your, you have your own recording still. What do you do with that? Does that become a Steve Postel song or is that? It's a Steve Postel. Yeah. And how do you, how do you make, do you sit down and purposefully write an immediate family song? Yeah, you do. And do you collaborate with someone else in the band when you do that usually? Yeah. Yeah. And even if I started alone, we, it just ends up being even more of an immediate fan. It's generally me and Wadi and Danny. I'll bring a, I'll bring an idea. And, and what we, makes you do that to bring it to the immediate? How do you know? Okay, this is for the immediate family as opposed to something that's you're going to do. I, I just know where we're at. I mean, we have a, we've developed a, a, a thing we do, and and I know what's missing, and I know what would be good for me to sing. Um, so it's pretty clear to me what songs are like for me and what songs are for the band. It's a different, it's a different thing. I'd say the band is, a, if anyone doesn't know, it's myself, Wadi Wachtel, Danny Korchmar, Russ Kunkel, and Leland Sklar. Um, I know nobody knows who they are, but they're pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's not a, even though they, all of them made their names playing for, Jackson Brown and James Taylor and Warren Zevon and singer songwriters and Carol King. It's not a singer songwriter band. It's a rock and roll band. And, and even so, even if we're playing about like, even when we're doing some of the songs, some of the old songs, uh, there's a, it turns into the way a rock and roll band would play. Like we do New York minute. Right. Right. Which in the, uh, you know, in the Henley version, it there's a there's a jazz trumpet in the beginning and this piano. You know, how's that go? You know that, and then there's a trumpet and there's a jazz piano. And when we started playing, um, Johnny got up, all dressed in black, and Waddy started going. on this power guitar sound. And yeah, I think you have to hold on to your guitar because we're going to be talking about things. Where we're just going and, to need you to keep breaking into them. And as soon yeah. as you did that, Russ started going, you know, and so it, it completely changed. It's the same song, but it became ours and it became a more of a, of a rock ballad than this beautiful. And they're both beautiful. Same, even the way we do somebody's baby is it's not, it, it's, it's a more fantastic. rocking version, you know. So, so I can hear in my head if I'm working writing a song, like whether I hear everybody how they'd play it, or something like that. Yeah. Some Lynn just said everybody knows the immediate family and wants to be a cousin. I think that's <laughs> probably true. So let's talk about this. We're here, so let's talk about the immediate family. And here you are. You're playing with the section. You're playing with the guys. That you, I assume you used to go to shows and see them play, right? You went to James Taylor. There they were. So, how did you? How did you first come into this this group of of players, and how did the immediate family happen? I met them one at a time through being a session, you know, a guy in the world, you know. So mm -hmm. I. Uh, Who'd you meet first? Leland. So the. It's a good story. I've told all these stories a million times, but I'll tell them again. Yeah. I, I uh, 
For you, Vicky, I'll tell I'll tell the story. There you go. <laughs> I was I got a record and he's deal. He's one of my favorite people anyway, so Absolutely. as well as you. And he's so. been on your shows uh, many times, yeah. So so I got a record deal with a, with a company called Emergent Records, which and had been this a Steve Postel record deal. Steve Postel record deal uh, had been five point one records at a time when people my age weren't really getting real record. They were getting sort of little indie deals where they mm. gave you five thousand. This was a real record deal with a budget and you know real label, mm-hmm. and and they said we want you to make a record the way people used to make records like go all out we'll give you a budget and and bring in a lot of the great people that you've played with like on the old records you'd look at the liner notes and there and you'd go oh my god there's keltner and there's danny and there's courts martin you know he said we said we want a record like that so i was doing pre-production getting the songs together i was at the nam show Mm-hmm. which is National Academy of Music Merchants, for those who don't know. It's a 20,000 musicians and music companies uh, converge at, in Anaheim and have this big mm-hmm. festival uh, conference. And uh, I saw Leland Sklar, and Leland was, he's like the Pied Piper, especially at NAMM. He, he's a hero. He, they Literally, people fo- are following him around. And, and also, you cannot miss him. I mean, so no matter him. where. Yeah. There's big posters of him all around, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's one of the people that one of my goals in life was to play with that guy from the first time I saw him. Wow. So I walked over there, elbowed my way through the big crowd, said, Steve Postel, nice to meet you. You're playing on my new record. And he said, Okay, here's my number. <laughs> I love that. So, so he was the first one, and then. And how long ago was that, Steve? Approximately. Fifteen years, something like that. And so, how long did it take for you to call him after Nam? Oh, the next day. I mean, I didn't want to, you know. <clears throat> and so, did it happen? Did he play on? Oh, your he's record? he's on half that first record, yeah. Um. So. Uh, you know, and I was in, I had a studio with Steve Ferroni at the time, and then Steve introduced me, you know, brought Ben Montention to the record and all these people. And then another friend of mine knew Wadi. So the record started to being this like Robin Ford's on this track and Eric Johnson's on this track and and Ben Montention's on this track and and so on and so forth. So, uh, so people started to want to be on it. So when someone called Wadi, I'd never met him and I only met him, I didn't meet him again until the immediate family. But he played wow. on it. Uh, then, then so one by one, I met them. But the band, and I met Danny at the Troubadour reunion. So I, so I did the record, finished mm-hmm. the record. It was being mixed by Nathaniel Kunkel, who's who's Russ's son. And Nathaniel said to me, "Why don't you come down as my guest to the Troubadour? James and Carol are doing this reunion show with the original guys." So since I knew at that point I'd met Russ, I knew Nathaniel, I'd never met Danny. So at the after the show I introduced myself to him and we just had we just we just clicked. Yeah. You know, we just had a thing. And then How long ago was that, Steve? Maybe 12 years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. Mhm. 
You know, it had to be because the the tour was ten years ago that they did. Maybe more. Maybe fourteen years ago. Uh, so maybe I met Leland through seventeen years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, time flies. So yeah, it's probably longer, right? Two years of pandemic. So it was more than that. Yeah. But, so then Danny came, started coming back to L.A. He and I ended up at a New Year's Eve party. And of course, you guys have to play, you know, play for us. <laughs> so so there were two guitars there. We played. I remember we played. Did you go right into like one of his? I assume you went into one of his songs. We Well, I, we, we did Machine Gun Kelly, which mm -hmm. he wrote for James. Mm -hmm. I knew every James Taylor song. I played them all from that era. Mm -hmm. Then then I said, how about this one? I'm, Well, I'm a steamroller for you, baby. Guaranteed to blow your mind. You know, so I went into that, and he was, like, smiling. And so we just played for... Uh, you're going to have to play another song very soon. <laughs> we, we, we played for about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, I, and, and then he goes, man, it's, it feels like we've been playing together forever. And I said, we have. I've played... <laughs> I've played <laughs> along with you for however many years that is at that time. So once that happened, just make a long story short, Danny, uh, the the section got a call to go to Japan because mm -hmm. a Japanese label got the rights to the section. The section was Danny, Russ, Leland, and uh, um, sorry, uh, I'm spacing out. Uh, Russ. Who are you talking about? Uh, it'll come to me. Anyway, okay. they were in this band called The Section, and uh, and they got asked to go to Japan, and they decided they they weren't all on the same page. The schedules were difficult. Danny because didn't really. They were still all playing with the major play they were yeah 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 and, yeah and danny didn't really want to, oh craig Durgy. i'm sorry that's who the yeah. fourth guy was my apologies to craig uh and it was a, it was kind of fusion music danny felt was kind of dated so he said so we were in the studio working on something he goes yeah i'm, I'm gonna blow that tour off we're not going to do it and i said well wait a minute why don't we do the thing that we do this night train music club thing but call it danny Korchmar. I mean, you should not go to Japan. It's a great opportunity. Went, well, I guess we could do that. So we went to Japan with a different band. Danny got a record deal to do his own music at Japanese label. And, uh, of course, called Wadi, Russ, and Leland. And myself, we did, we did all the pre-production here. And within, uh, we had Jim Cox on keyboards on that record, but within, it's a great record, and we had James Taylor on it, and Jackson was on it, Dave Crosby was on it, Mike McDonald, but it was a it was a Danny Korchmar solo record. Right. But halfway through the recording, we were like, oh, I think this is a band. And Danny said, yeah, it's called The Immediate Family. <laughs> that was it. It just like off the top of his head came out? Yep. And it was one of those things where was, when the five of us were playing together, it was like, well, we kind of have to do this. And then the Japanese people asked us to go and that gave us a focus, like, okay, let's get a set together and let's go. It always gives me goosebumps when you, when any one of you starts talking about the immediate family, because it's, 
talking to Leland or Wadi or whatever, like this is kind of the thing, like you guys have backed up everybody and to now have this thing of your own that is this precious, wonderful, the culmination of all the dreams, because I'm sure, and I know having spoken to each one of you individually, it is the dream when you're little to have your band, the Beatle, the Beatle, you know, the thing, right? It's wonderful yeah. to play the stadiums and be with James and Jackson and all of that, but it's- I've, I've always thing. loved, once I started having bands, uh, I had a band called Chain of Fools for years and then one called Little Who Blue- played for, for me many times. For you. And I loved being in those bands. And when Little Blue mm -hmm. uh, ended, I created this Night Train Music Club, but that's, it's not really a band. It's really me and whoever I want to be in it. So it's a, it's a different situation, but, mm -hmm. and it got harder and harder because coming out here, I, I'm not going to be in a band without great players and everyone's busy. And at our age, you're not going to start a band. It's, it's, you know, what are you going to go to the garage and play in a band? So this was a, this came out of the heavens, man. I'm telling you that, that to be able to be with the, with these guys at this point and real and be a, we're not like a cover band. We're not a, a superstar band. We're a real band. Mm -hmm. You're a rock and roll band. You guys rock. You're we, a rock and roll We write together. Band. We travel together. We talk to each other every day. Uh, it's it's really been a... And they're, they're actually making a documentary about the band, which is very So exciting. let's talk about the Denny Tedesco um, documentary because we're waiting. I know COVID really... So where oh, Denny was on the show, actually, where where is it at as far as it's it's pretty much done uh, in terms of the editing. And I mean, we've I've seen it three times. It's, it's amazing film. And one of the things that's so great is that everybody we asked to be interviewed said yes. No, one person didn't. Wow. I won't mention who that is. Oh, one person did. Did not. Oh, oh. But she also had a stroke. And oh. that's why. And you can figure out who that is. But everybody else, everybody, Neil Young, Keith Richards, Carol, you know, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson, Don Henley, James, everybody said, yeah, of course I'll be interviewed about, you know. I, Linda I Ronstadt did it. Yeah, Linda, James, uh, David Crosby. Uh, because all the people had these guys and with a few of them myself also were important in their... You know, they wanted to talk about it. Right. And mm. so, Steve, for you, growing up with, you know, with James Taylor being your hero, and, and I'm sure Jackson was as well, how did you meet James for the first time? And what was it like when you actually got to play, produce, what, what was that like for you? Well, what I got to do with James was Danny got called so so they did this tour, the, the Troubadour reunion tour, which mm -hmm. came out of those few nights at the Troubadour. They, well, how long ago was that? The tour was 11 or 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so the tour was the original band with a couple auxiliary people. There was a Robbie Condor on keyboard, but the but it was Danny on guitar, Russ and Leland in the rhythm section, Carol on piano, James on guitar, just like when they started 50 years ago. Wow. And they filmed and recorded multi-track the whole tour. Mm -hmm. So they'd been talking to Danny for for years. About, we're going to do a special. We're going to do a special. And, you know, and then we get, and Danny, you know, I I work with Danny whenever we, there's a project, you know, I, there's a studio here. And 
I'm an engineer and we can we do stuff like that we would do together. Mm-hmm. So there were a few false starts, but they finally did, I guess CNN and HBO bought it, but they needed Danny and me to really go through all the shows and all the tunes and pick the right shows and pick the performances and then fix stuff and edit stuff. You know, it was a lot of work. Uh, so the first time we're sitting in the studio and, and Danny's phone rings and the puts on a speakerphone and I hear James Taylor's voice. <laughs> like, you know, I never thought that I'd hearing James Taylor's voice in my studio. I didn't really think of that. And I think Carol and I talked about some of the stuff that of hers and, you know, She's been really super supportive of me and the and the band in general. Said some really mm-hmm. nice things. So, yeah, it's just been kind of uh, you know in stride. You take it in stride, and and I've played with a lot of people over you know forty years, but but through this through the band and through the work I'm doing now, you know, it's we're in the same circles. You're in the same circle, and so when you when that first happens is it a pinch me moment like i am this is james taylor this is the guy and this is there's a there's some of it i mean it's you know at the end of the you know just to see my name and the credits on the james taylor Mm -hmm. carol king documentary it's it's a little surreal but the bottom line is you're doing the work right i remember when when we when michael mcdonald sang on the first record and we're in the studio, and there he is, in my opinion, and not alone, one of the greatest singers who ever lived, ever. Mm-hmm. And he's coming out with Steve. Was, you think that was okay? You think I need to do it again? Like, you know, and I realized <laughs> we're all just musicians. You know, that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It, no matter, you know, who it is, when it, when it comes time to do the work, like Kenny and I just did a a, a benefit, and uh, you know we we ran you know we go off of this and we go what should we do this tune and we'll do Danny's song we'll do you know at that moment it's not Kenny Loggins and Steve it's two musicians we're gonna have to go play what what what's what are we doing mm-hmm. so that's what most of the feeling is but there's another part of me that yeah there's there's been plenty of moments that would have that are when Keith Richards came to our show, that was one of those moments, you know, just like, and when he came up to me personally and, you know, what'd he say? He said, uh, (laughs) well, the show was over and he had stayed the whole time. And so he said he was going to only stay three or four songs, stayed the whole show. And he's kind of going like this. And I, you know, I'm looking around (laughs) because I met him in the dressing room, but he, you know, and there's no one behind me. He goes, and he keeps going, you, come over here. And I go over and he goes, he gives me a hug. And he said, you know the only thing better than two guitar players in a band? I said, what? He goes, three guitar players in a band. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. You know. So, yeah, there's, a, yes, these, I'm, I, I don't take any of it for granted. I don't take for granted playing with these guys, you know. It's like Tom Petty's talked about when he got in a band with James, with with Bob Dylan and George Harrison. You know, you have to. Your party was going, holy shit! 
but uh, you're also in the band. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So and so, how how did the producing side of it? How did it? How did that start for you? That you started producing other people's music, which is something you do quite a bit of, and you have a, quite a reputation for it. You've done some amazing. I know you did David. You did David Crosby's. Uh, I didn't produce it. And how did you meet David? And what 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 um what what's that relationship like? Which question first? Okay, did, how did you meet David Crosby, and uh, what is what is your relationship with him like? How did you start to produce his music? I don't produce his music. I just wrote oh. with him. I, I wrote with him. I have a song on the new record, and I have played gig shows with him. Um, I'd love to, but his son produces his music, and his son is my friend James, who's a brilliant producer, brilliant producer, James Raymond. I met David. Little Blue was based out of Colorado. And my friend Jeff Pivar was playing in CPR, which was Crosby Raymond and Pivar Raymond. And I, I sort of had the run of that town. And I, there's a beautiful opera house called the Wheeler Opera House. And I just called Jeff. I said, you know, if you guys want, because they still weren't people didn't know CPR. They needed to go out and play. I said we can do a double bill. I'll I'll get the Wheeler Opera House for you. And uh, we'll and so I did. And and um. So that's why I met him years ago, but we're we're, we're very friendly. Uh, you know, I'm I'm close with his son. I'm close with his granddaughter, who's just put out a beautiful new EP, Gracie. And uh, uh, yeah, we 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 have a fun relationship, and and uh, he's a he's one of a kind. He's a really incredible human being, and and a great artist. Watching that documentary that came out on him, it was uh, pretty sobering. And there are, it's a lot of, it sounds like a lot of bridges were burned. Uh, you have not had that experience with him, I assume. You know, I, I know that I've, I've seen him, him get persnickety. Mm -hmm. I can take it. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm, very, I'm just very fond of him. And I know, you know, I just I just played a gig with with Chris Stills and I know Chris is close with Graham. Chris just did a Chris and I were both on this Everly Brothers special. I did a song with Waddy and Chris did a song with Graham and his dad Stephen and they don't talk to Crosby and it's it's fine, you know. I I like everybody. You know, I like them all. <laughs> uh but um no, I I I under, I get him. I get that it doesn't it doesn't bother me, you know, in some sort of global way that people are difficult, <laughs> you know, they people are difficult. I'm difficult. Um, I've called David out when I had to on something like, you know, like he was mad about something and I said, that didn't happen. Fortunately, I said, here's the text. And he's like, oh, sorry, you know, but I'm, you know, I, I think he's a, a, a grand artist and a and human being. That's what I think, you know. And he's and, he had yeah, and so you've gotten so many of these people to play on your record. Um, how is that to ask? Well, is, is I, it is it natural? Is it easy? Is it is it still like oh my god, I'm gonna ask, like what is that like for you? My my policy about in this with all with I now know personally a lot of 
pretty famous musicians and actors and you know because of what i do mm-hmm. and i can't tell you how many times people call me hey you think jackson would want to do you think and i say i'm not if you can't get to him i'm not asking him for you they think Steve, that i know because i get the calls if for everyone who does my show you think they'll do my show and i'm not asking them for it you know right. so yeah. Uh, the, but what I do, and these guys and my friend, and they're my friends, and they know it. Mm-hmm. If I get a good something good, if I asked what Jackson Brown to do something, it's something good, right? You know, like there was a, you know, it's like, hey, these people, I'm doing this festival, Shell Crow dropped out, they got X hundreds of thousands of dollars. You want to play it? Well, that's a legitimate. Like, why wouldn't he, he'd be pissed if I didn't ask him that? Of course. You know, um, so so the, I think people get to know who the people are uh, who are not going to bust their balls, have this sense of it's a decorum. It's like a this is appropriate. This is not. And um, so if I ask, it's a good thing. And like the benefit I just did, I asked Kenny. He knows the people. At first, he was like, I'm going on tour the next day. I said, no pressure. We won't put you on the invite, but the invite's open. So you know you can come play. And, of course, he showed up. We had to rehearse in 20 minutes, and we played. But, you know, so that's that's why. it's I don't – I only ask when it feels good to ask. And so what – the pandemic – What I know the pandemic in a way gave you opportunities with the immediate family anyway because like right now, Lee's off with, with Lyle Lovett and everybody starts to go their own way. So you had a couple of years, well, almost. Yeah, two years. So what, what do you guys have on the horizon? I know Lee's out for a while. I don't know what everybody else is doing right now. Well, but- Lee, and Russ, Lee and Russ are out with uh, Lyle together. They're both with Lyle Lovett. Mm-hmm. Um, Wadi just got back from Stevie Nicks, and they've got more shows coming up in September. Uh, but what we got very lucky in that we got the business side of the band had just gotten together before the pandemic. In other mm-hmm. words, we signed a great management deal. We signed a great record deal. We signed a great publicist, a marketing person. So... When the world shut down, we had backing to go make videos, find you know someone who's going to finance the videos, finance a couple more records and EPs. So so we never stopped working, and that's and I, and that's Quarto Valley Records, Bruce Quarto and Mike Carden. Just you know they were a godsend to us, and David Helfant and Fred Crishell, our managers, and and Lisa, who Roy, who you know they they kept us. Uh, really very active through the whole time. And so now that the guys are out again, what what do you guys have on the books coming well, up? Fortunately, uh, so I have the studio and I have the chops in the studio. And so I do a lot of, of that work for the band. So mm-hmm. we have a new record and we made sure that Leland and Russ finished all their parts before they left. Right. Wadi did most of his. He did some of it from from hotel rooms and sent it to me. And he'll be back now. 
So he and I will come in the studio with Danny. So I've got, and then we have another record we're working on at the same time. So, so my summer, and again, the record, I'm, the other one, Leland and Russ did their parts. So Danny's around, Whitey's here a lot of the summer. So I'll, I've got my work cut out for me. We've got a lot of work to do over the next mm -hmm. two months. By the time I'm done with that, um, everyone will be off the road and we're going back on, on doing a tour in November. Okay, that was my next question. So, what, what, where is that tour? Where will you? Guys that's a, be? that's a West Coast. That's throughout California. Oh yay! Well, that's exciting. And so, how, how long do you know for sure everyone will be together before they have to do the thing again? We have November through March, so we have four months, oh, nice. and they're hoping the movie will come out in that time. Uh, and so we'll be promoting that. So we know we have four months, maybe more. And what, Steve, I know that you are a very disciplined musician, artist, and a business person. I mean, you take all of this very seriously. What, what's your daily discipline? Do you have a daily, this is what I do? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I'm, I'm fairly, uh, I, well, there's certain things I do for myself every day, I exercise every morning and I meditate every morning. I practice the guitar every day. I practice my voice every day. So those four things happen every day. And that's part of sort of keeping the engine alive. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I, I'm real committed to practice. I, I like it. I like what it does for me. It keeps me, you know, I never got out of shape during the pandemic. Well, it's funny. I thought I hadn't gotten out of shape because I was playing guitar all day, every day. And then we had a first rehearsal. I hadn't stood up and played in two years. I've been sitting. <laughs> the guitar felt like it weighed 500 pounds. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I guess they now. Well, we're all getting older. All right. So before we continue conversation, how about playing something for us? Whatever you want. Whatever I want. That's whatever a tough you thing. want. Let's see. Uh, it's always difficult to know what to play. Uh, okay. I'll play this. Get a pick. I just did a night train club Sunday at McCabe's, and one of the special guests was Teresa James. Who, who I love. Unbelievable. And Teresa and I were both close with a guy named Mike, uh, Steve Bruton. Mm -hmm. So she played a Steve Bruton song. He passed away. Uh, I used to live at his apartment in L.A. That's how I got to L.A. <clears throat> he sublet me his apartment. And I wasn't going to play the song, but the chart was in the books I handed one. So I wrote a song uh, to Stephen right after he died. And <clears throat> so I played it at the show. And I'll play it now. It's kind of a conversation. I was just a little background. So I was on tour with Jennifer Warrens. Jennifer knew Stephen since he was like 18 years old. She she knew him forever. Was very close with Stephen. And we knew he was very ill. And we found out on the road that he died. And uh, so this was sort of. I had this thought. Two thoughts 
that turned into a song. One was, if I was having a conversation with him right now, right now, post-death, what would it be? And just also thinking about when you're someone in our field, a musician with, with YouTube, like, I'll never physically be in a room with him, but I can listen to him play every day. I just go to YouTube and we're, we're, it's still very much alive. And so this was my song to Stephen. Are you a spirit in the sky? Or just some dust on a shelf? Can you hear me talking? Or am I talking to myself? When I see you in my dreams Are you really in the room? Or is it just me trying to tell you That you left this world too soon? Is this it? Is this it? Oh, is this it? Is this it? The ships were coming into harbor When we first heard the news Sometimes you're sailing with your destiny Sometimes you don't get to choose Down at Cerritos Bar and Grill Someone is singing your song It's just a kid with a guitar Maybe you're not really gone is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? The sun will shine for ten billion years. A candle burns out in a day. It's not as bright without you here But I think I heard you say This is it This is it This is all we get No second chances Better get right with it Cause this is it Yeah, this is it Better get right with it No second chances This is it.
while you're playing Don't Stop, would you play something from uh, or playing Walking Through These Blues? Is that what it's called? Uh huh. Yes. Would you would you play that? I Did would. I catch you off guard? Is that something oh, you no. need? It's all good. It's all in the book. As long as I have the as book. As long as you have the book, you're good. All right, good. I uh, I need the book. <clears throat> I'll tell you a quick story about the book. A lot of people do now. Some people don't. Jackson doesn't do it. Uh, but um, a quick story about the book. All right, good. I want to hear the quick story about the book. Well, I was many years ago. Um, I was touring with a woman named Leia Salonga. Um, are you still there? You're frozen. There you are. Tell me if you're there. I'm going to turn the internet off of my other computer just in case. Okay. Hang on. Okay, you're back. Uh, so anyway, I'm touring with Leia Salonga. Was it, was it? She was uh, Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon, right? yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had a record out, and um, I was her musical director. And we were doing a duet. Uh, the hit, the single was a duet. And we got to the Tonight Show. Oh, that's weird. Got to the Tonight Show, and uh, I started to panic a little bit. Like, what if I forget the words? You know, this is live. And they said, no problem. Right. We have a teleprompter. And I went, okay, good. And then I couldn't see the teleprompter because I didn't know I needed glasses. And <laughs> then they said, no problem. And they wrote the lyrics on this giant, you know, sheets of paper that they put at my feet. Few cards, yeah. Few cards. And I could never had that messed my head up so badly. I've always needed cheat sheets from that day to this day. And once the once the iPads came into the world. I was going to say, so what form is your book? So it's an iPad. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. I'm looking at the sky Feeling kind of small I'm looking at my life Make some sense of it all Got my hands full of dirt Got my feet in a hole Got my tools from the shed And I'm digging out my soul When there's nothing more to gain Nothing more to lose Trying to stay out of the rain Trying to keep up with the news I'm looking for the truth And I'm walking through these blues I got some brand new shoes 
for walking through these blues. Let's find some higher ground to watch the waters arise. Let's listen for the sound. Hear the wind as she cries. When there's nothing more to gain, nothing more to lose. Trying to stay out of the rain, trying to keep up with the news. I'm looking for the truth, and I'm walking through these blues. I got some brand new shoes for walking through these blues. I can see you in the shadows, but nothing looks the same. If I don't find my way home. I'm the only one to blame. I once had a true love. She was knocking at my door. Her picture in a frame. I don't have that anymore. When there's nothing more to gain, nothing more to lose. Trying to stay out of the rain. Trying to keep up with the bad news. I'm looking for the truth, and I'm walking through these blues. Said I'm looking for the truth, and I'm walking through these blues. I got some brand new shoes. For walking through these blues, I'm walking through these blues in my brand new shoes. We're all just walking through it, walking through these blues. That is just so beautiful. Thank you for playing that. Uh, somebody asked uh, about your meditation practice. Can you share with us what what is what kind of meditation do you do, Steve? It's a um, sort of Indo-Tibetan Buddhist tradition. I've been doing it for twenty-three years or so. And what? How how long do you meditate in the morning? 
or I assume it's in the morning. About 20 to 30 minutes, not nothing spectacular. That's pretty spectacular. If I get through 10, I'm really proud of myself. Uh, that's fantastic. And do, have you ever, like, have you ever missed a day and then notice, and then do you notice it or do you never miss a day? Oh, no, I miss days. Absolutely. I mean, I, for different reasons, I, you know, the day of a show, I usually don't do it. Just I'm more sort of that part of my brain is focused on the show. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'd notice a difference if I don't do it for a week. Yeah. And what's your, it, has your life gone back to normal? Mine still hasn't. Are you back to normal? Are you doing, what's no. your life like now as far as being out in the well, world? Well, I mean, well, the big thing right now is this. If uh, I had COVID, I got it at a gig. Leland and I both got it at the last Remember, gig. How, how wait, did you get really sick? Not really sick, but I did have a long COVID thing. Mm -hmm. it, messed, it messed me up for about two and a half months. But um, so the way it's impacting me now, well, I, I won't, I still won't go in a restaurant. I think it's, what's the, I think it's kind of dumb. Uh, mm -hmm. I uh, wear a mask in, inside anywhere I go, I do that. But th this is how it's changed my life. If I have, I'm not going to die. I've had COVID. I've had four shots. But it can screw you up badly in terms of what you're doing. So sure. I had a big gig Sunday night, sold out at McCabe's, wonderful. So how do you handle that? You've got all those people what, in a close. Okay. So what I handled it was this. I canceled everything for six days before the show. I didn't teach. No one could come to the studio. Because I had, to, I you know, if I got COVID that week, I screw up that whole show and all the right. people tickets in. So now I don't have a show like that, a big show for a while. So if someone, you know, I'll teach tomorrow in in the studio working, you know, so it's, so I, I'm more gauged. I'm still careful, but I gauge it by if I've got something to do, I've got uh, that I really, it would really mess me up to not do. I isolate before it. And and are you okay going into McCabe's and saying, okay, this place is going to be packed. There's going to be a lot of people in here. I'm going to. Does it does it make you anxious, or are you fine uh, with it? Now? No, it makes me anxious, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a risk that I I, I can't not work mm -hmm. and do it. So. And what about when you do lessons and somebody's coming to your studio? Because like now my daughter's coming with her boyfriend, and I get anxious because they're out in the world, and I'm really not. Um, so how do you, how do you handle the, the lessons I, and stuff? Well, both two of my, I do two, I do a few lessons online. Two of my in-person students both got COVID. Fortunately, not when they were in here. Oh. Fortunately, uh, I've told them to really, you know, if you feel you've been exposed or if you don't feel good, do not walk in my room. Mm -hmm. So it's a chance, you know, it's a chance that, that, Again, it's part of the deal. I might, right, right. I'm not completely isolated, so I might get it. But, mm -hmm. you know, I know right now, I don't know a single tour where, where nobody got it. I don't. I know, every tour I know, they're yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So now, okay, so let's say Wadi comes off the road. He's just been out with Stevie Nicks. He's been doing these huge venues. Does it make you anxious for him to come into the studio? Well, 
let's just say he's not coming in this week. Okay. That yeah. I'm still careful that way too. I do you go to I go to the supermarket. I mask. I still yeah. mask up when I do all Look, of that. Look, I'm pretty I'm you know, I wear a good mask. It's an N95. It fits me well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what I do. So that's what I do too. Well, Steve, I, I, I'm, I'm not letting you go without one more song, but it's always wonderful to sit down with you. I, I can't, like, I didn't go to the immediate family gig because I'm not ready to go into a club. So I hope you guys are going to play an outdoor venue at some point so I can come see you play soon. I hope so. I mean, we're all the, all the gigs in November are indoors, but by November, maybe it'll be different. That's what I keep hoping. That's what yeah. I keep hoping. So can you take us out with something either I've loved everything you've played. Um, can you do an old Postel classic or, um, sure. I don't know, pick something. Sure. Well, this one's interesting in that it's a, it's a, it was a little blue, it was one of our mainstays. Excellent. But uh, Russ heard it and uh, said, I, I hear this a different way. I'd love to produce it. Wow. So, so we did it again, and it's on the record that came out in Japan that will come out in, in 2023 that I've had to sit on for two years because of the COVID. Uh, uh, so, uh, what is the next, um, the next record? Did we talk well, about that? I want to make sure we do. Well, we're almost done with an immediate family record that's, that's mm-hmm. really... Very exciting record. It's we're all really excited about it. It's really a great record. Uh, and and then I have this record that I finished, solo record. Uh, I finished it before the pandemic. So the the idea with my managers was let's release it in Japan. They had a two and a half month exclusive on it, and then mm-hmm. we could go, and we were going to get a label to do it here and one to do it in Europe, and then. When COVID hit, I said, as a solo artist, there's absolutely no reason to release a record if I can't be out there touring and playing. So I've just right, been sitting, sitting on it. But, you know, I plan to release it uh, probably in the beginning of 2023. So this is a song that, that Little Blue did. And then... Um, I did it again with Russ co-producing it. Russ Fabulous. And so I wrote this a long time ago, um, and I wrote it from the from the perspective. Oh, you went away. Are you still there? Uh, here, I'm here. Yeah, that was. I just hit the wrong thing. Uh, I wrote it from the perspective of someone, a very much older, looking back on his life, mm-hmm. and uh, and my what I always say when I played is. I'm getting closer and closer to that guy (laughs) every time I sing it. (laughs) Rock and roll keeps you young. Well, at least we pretend we are. (laughs) It's called Wait Until You Get Here.
She looks at me through the eyes of a child. She thinks I'm jaded and opinionated. She sees me as a counterfeit bill, and I revel in her innocence. So I took her to a restaurant, ordered wine and souffle. It didn't matter much about the conversation. I'd said it all before this day. I said, "Just wait until you get here, and you'll see what I mean. Just wait until you get here through these rivers and streams." I wandered into the Howling Wolf Cafe. I saw a kid with a guitar. Everyone was just loving him, so in tune with where they are. So I ate and I drank, trying to listen to his words. And through the tapping of feet, his youth was all I heard. Until you get here, and you'll see what I mean. Just wait until you get here through these rivers and streams. I'm no prophet, saint, or seer. Dark to light, day to night, all comes clear. There's no need for fear. No need for I met an old man in Gramercy Park. He was playing chess with a friend. Two thousand years worth of memories, with no beginning and no end. Well, he told me he was a philosopher, a connoisseur of fine art. But when I asked him for his name, he said the state of man weighed heavy on his heart. He said, "Just wait until you get here, and you'll see what I mean. Just wait until you get here." Till you get here, 
Not there, Steve. You can't see me. Hello, hello. 